Frack, 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 there you go. Ha 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 ha. That's the F bomb for sci fi fans. Okay, and this is the breathe in, giggle out portion of the show. Okay. <laughs> this is a joke, you can get it going for an hour. Don't tell anyone, but this was definitely the most fun podcast that I've been on yet. And I've been on a few. We're in conversation anyway. Josh, Liberty, we're going to have company! You're listening to the Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards podcast, featuring interviews with your favorite speculative fiction authors. We'll be discussing their books, their fandoms, and their writing processes. So sit back and enjoy another exciting episode with your hosts, Aaron DeMott, Josh Hart, and Liberty Spidell. Welcome back to Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. I'm one of your hosts, Liberty Spidell, and in this second part of our interview with Becky Miner, we uh, go through quite a bit. In fact, you'll notice that this is a bit of a bonus-length episode. Uh, the first half is primarily composed of Becky's writing process, and the second half we talk at length about Realm Makers. So you'll want to hang on for the entire thing where we discuss Realm Makers, what it is, where it is, and why you need to be there this year. In the first half, we do discuss Becky's writing process. She is a full-on pantser, which is easy for me to relate to because I used to be that way, but I'm not anymore. So uh, it's nice to revisit some of those old tendencies to just fly by the seat of your pants, writing whatever your characters decide to tell you uh, they want to do. Uh, we discussed Becky's favorite book, and you probably won't be surprised by that, especially if you've already listened to the first episode. And one of our famous bunny trails, which we seem to have them quite often, uh, is Costco. So <laughs> you'll want to see how we end up on that particular bunny trail. Uh, we do want to remind our listeners that we do have the uh, giveaway for Jeff Gerke's The Irresistible Novel still ongoing. That's going on for a few more days here at the tail end of March 2016. So if you're listening in the next uh, 8 to 10 days, please go ahead and jump over to the, po the, to the podcast website and uh, enter uh, for your chance to win that signed copy of Jeff Gerke's book. Without further ado, here's Becky. Welcome back to Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. We're here with Becky Miner, and today we're going to be discussing her writing process and realm makers. <laughs> <laughs> My, what large nostrils you have. <laughs> See, it's fun. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, we'll give a couple of seconds pause to for Liberty to make that editing easier. Well, our first question for the second part here: Are you a plotter or pantser when you're writing? There is no plotting. There is only pantsing. Yes, embrace yes. the <laughs> Excellent. I have sort of like a: These are the characters. In the end, they want to accomplish this thing. Go. That's my outlining process right there. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that's wrong with that. so I like to I like to take characters may I have one do something really stupid and just let the other characters react and kind of snowball out of my control. <laughs> yeah. So uh, since you just take off with an idea, what does your writing process actually look like then? 
typically what I end up doing is, like I said, I have that sort of very, very rough sketch of, you know, what the situation is. And since my world is already in place in general, because I'm writing in a single world right now, I haven't developed anything further there. Um, you know, I kind of know what they're going to run into. If they go left, they end up in this place. If they go right, they end up in another. And I kind of know who's there. I know the key players in any place they could possibly go in my world, essentially, unless I decide to develop some more continents or whatever. Um, so it really just becomes a matter of characters being presented with obstacles, the choices they make, me trying to um, bear in mind where the character is in their developmental arc, you know, I usually kind of know who the dynamic character of the story is going to be and from what point they need, where they start and where they need to end up. Um, and I say, okay, well, they're only at this point in their journey. What stupid decision are they going to make in this situation that's going to create the conflict for that time of the story? Um, and what I actually, what I tend to do is I tend to plant a lot of junk in the beginning of my stories when I write the first draft. Um, little things that could pay off here and there. Um, and the things that I pay off later in the story that I bring back around and I attach to other important story elements, I keep. And the other things that I've planted that I can't pay off get cut when I start in my editing process. But typically I'll, um, you know, once the story is rolling, I'll reread what I wrote previously, you know, a little chunk just to sort of get back into the groove of where I was, write out for a while and write forward and then wrap up maybe with a little bit of tidying up of something that was previous, not really a full edit. Um, and then so each time it's sort of a reorient, write new, do a little bit of tidying each mm -hmm. time. Okay. How many of those rounds do you think you go through? Um, well, it's kind of interesting because um, what I also end up doing is, I'll kind of, that's kind of my rough draft process is what I mm -hmm. sort of described there. And then once the rough draft is done, um, I took a, a writing seminar with David Farland um, some years ago, I think it was 2011, um, and he recommended going through your manuscript several times to look for certain kinds of beats, he would basically call them, mm -hmm. or um, diff different types of editing. So I would go through, you know, my, my rough draft is done, I'll go through the whole story again and just winnow it, you know, get all the crap out of there. Sorry, mm -hmm. that might have been a little languagey. Get all the junk out of there <laughs> and go, okay, these are the things I didn't pay off. Get it out of there. These are the rabbit trails I started and just decided to abandon, that kind of thing, which is the nature of the pantser. I think that, you know, on the front end, the, the plotter gets a lot of that work done. And on the back end, that's when the pantser gets it done. It's the same amount of time, just where you do it. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so I go back through and I winnow out all this stuff that just is extraneous or just self-indulgent, like, oh, I just want to explore this peach grove with this character, and it really has no purpose, that kind of thing. Um, so after that is all kind of tight, tightened down, and the plot has what it needs and no more, um, I'll go through and I'll do sort of an emotional, um, an emotional escalation edit, and go, okay, have I made these situations as bad as I possibly could for the time that they occur in the story? And if I've gone, if I've been wimpy with torturing my characters, I'll go back and I'll make things worse um, in a past. Poor person you. <laughs> it's just like, okay, my instinct is always to be a little too easy on them to start, and then I go, you know what, I really need to, I need to escalate this. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll do that sort of escalation pass to make sure that everything is as dire as it needs to be to keep people turning the pages. Um, I'll go through and do um, sort of an emotional 
edit where I go, is everybody, are all my emotions authentic? Is everything intense enough to carry the reader and, uh, you know, feel authentic, but also heightened? You know, there's, a, there's that fine line between emotional reaction that is heightened and then sappy or ridiculous and mm -hmm. heightened enough to be dramatic. So going through and getting all that sort of tightened up. And then the very last passive editing I typically do is what I call a syllabic edit, which is really analyzing every word's value in the sentence mm -hmm. throughout the whole manuscript mm -hmm. and going, okay, do these, does this word say exactly what I wanted to say? Have I said this in too many words? Um, I tend to be um, a long sentence writer. My average sentence typically has like 30 some words. So oh, I wow. have to be careful about that. Um, oh, I, I trend closer to five or 10. It's funny. Yeah. So I'm on the opposite end there. So I have to, I was trained to always very sentence length as I was in my early part of writing. So I go back in the syllabic edit and make sure that my cadence is good. Go, okay, well, yeah. I've got a long sentence here. I need to back it off. I need to get some punchier, shorter sentences in to make mm -hmm. the flow comfortable. And that's a good thing to do um, reading out loud that syllabic edit because of the, Mm -hmm. You know, you feel the cadence better aloud, yeah. I think. Yeah. And if you yep. wrote anything in a kludgy, clunky way, you're not going to be able to read it aloud very well. Mm -hmm. And that's where I go, yeah. hey, I'm really just beating around the sentence in here and I just need to get to the punch. And so that's usually that last pass before it goes out to my, um, you know, my partners who will look at it and beat it okay. up. So uh, what do you like using in terms of uh, writing software? Oh, I'm really boring. I'm just in Microsoft Word. I haven't <laughs> taken a leap to Scrivener, Scrivener yet. Um, I, had, I tried it last year, and I love it now. Scrivener? Yeah. 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 It is amazing. collective. You two will be assimilated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, like, go ahead. I've been working with it for nearly a year and just started my first full book that will actually be written with it, and I love it. Yeah, I think that there's a bit of that learning curve, as I understand mm -hmm. it, just figuring out how it organizes things. But once you have the groove, that it can be really, really powerful in terms mm -hmm. of a writing tool. Especially exactly. if you're an outliner. I don't know how it might work if you're a full-on panther. but It actually is really handy because you can have your uh, notes about stuff in the same spot where you can just click back and forth between that and the story. So if you're just kind of rolling into the punches, oh, wait. What was that name again? I forgot because I haven't planned any of this. You can just pop back, oh, okay, it was that, and keep on going. How in the yep. world did I spell that the first time? Now oh, yeah, spell yeah. <laughs> yep. That's my issue. My fantasy names are very, very rarely anything anyone's ever heard. So yeah. going back and going, okay, how did I spell Illyrian the first time? Because it could have any number of vowels. <laughs> yeah, you just right-click it, add to dictionary, and let autocorrect take care of it from there on out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't keep going. What is it? Elvin. Every time I try to write the word Elvin, it wanted to be eleven. I'm like, no. <laughs> I am of the eleven people. Exactly. Like to realize that how can be hilarious to read sometimes. Go to go in and autocorrect and re resubstitute eleven for Elvin and just read it. And something. <laughs> like, now my brain hurts. <laughs> I'm just, okay, where my brain went was Samwise being excited excited to see the 11s. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we're not sure if we're having 11sies or we're seeing the elves. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, he had, an, he had 11 cloaks? Why did he take so many with him? <laughs> well, it's easier to hide 11 bread, a bread, pile of cloaks. Sense, but... <laughs> 
All right, back on track-ish. Where do you go to edit? I mean, do you go just to some friends, professional editing, self-editing, combination, any of the above, something I haven't listed? I have yet to pay for editing, which, you know, now that I'm sort of a solopreneur and planning on self-publishing everything, I'm probably going to have to start ponying up some money. My edits have been previously done by my the small publishers who have worked with my books. In terms of just looking for, um, you know, content development, I have a few partners that um, that read through my stuff pretty faithfully, and they're awesome because I do a lot less reading than I do passing manuscripts to people, which is awful of me. I'm mm-hmm. not really a great uh, a great um, what do you call that reciprocal editor. <laughs> I have a, a nice little community of folks online that Aaron knows about that I haven't don't talk about too much, don't talk too as much as I should anymore. <laughs> A group of scout. We were talking about that up. before the uh, podcast here started. Yeah. And is anybody even there anymore? <laughs> yeah. Every now and then something comes we're up, all, but we're all hanging out on Facebook now. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So every now and then you can just kind of throw out, you know, you throw up a flare and you say, "Hey, Facebook world, does anybody want to read this and tell me if it sucks?" And you mm. know, you can usually get somebody to jump in there. Yep. Um, but I, I use a different passel of folks for my rough drafts than I do for my betas. Mm-hmm. You know, when something's rough, I need another reader to, I need another writer to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's done, if I consider it quote unquote done, and I want to know how does this read to a reader, then I use a different group of beta readers yeah. um, to, to really get that sort of in the wild sort of impression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you are spilling the ink, what snacks or beverages are must haves at your side? You shouldn't spill the ink. You should keep it in the ink well. (laughs) Well, you know, when you're really going fast and furious, it just kind of flies around. You have to put up with that moment. Well, and and that works for you because you're also an artist. Exactly, and I'm flinging usually ink or paint or something. (laughs) Digital digital ink gets flung because I do a lot of work in Photoshop. But anyway. It's um, not a spill. It's modern art. (laughs) Exactly. Look, it's worth millions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but back to the beverage question, I guess. We'll start with beverage. Um, depends on time of day, but I typically am an iced coffee person. So I have my concoction of coffee that's home brewed, poured over coffee that we've frozen in an ice cube tray. Because I don't like ice cubes to water down my coffee. That makes me annoyed. Oh, no. <laughs> so we use coffee cubes, and I pour coffee over the coffee cubes with raw milk, caramel syrup, and a spoon of sugar, so it's obviously more like dessert than it's like coffee. She cares nothing for her help. <laughs> exactly. I'm just rotting myself from the inside, but it keeps me awake. Um, there you go. It should do that, yeah. <laughs> so that's the, uh, that's the that's beverage of choice. That's while you're at it. <laughs> and that, uh, that's good creative fuel. That's good morning fuel because I tend to um, – I do a lot of my evaluating type work in the morning, mm-hmm. and so I just want to be clear-headed at that point. Mm-hmm. Or zinging, maybe. Um, like the afternoon, I'm useless. Basically, from two to like five, I'm useless. I cannot do anything other mm-hmm. than like mill around my house and put a dish in the dishwasher, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, that that beverage post reminds me, or answer reminds me of a post on Facebook. Yeah, yeah we got halfway to work. Or no, cold. You can't talk today. Put Red Bull in my coffee wine. instead of water and got halfway to work before I realized I forgot my car. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Um, and if I'm working at night, typically um, 
I try, you know, I don't try to avoid caffeine because it doesn't actually keep me up late anyway. But believe it or not, blueberry Red Bull is a, a beverage of, of focus. It's kind of a mm. shame to admit, but there's something about taurine. It does make you feel actually like on the ball. So if I need caffeine later in the day, that the blueberry flavor of Red Bull, all the others are putrid. The blueberry is bearable. <laughs> so that's, that's an option. Snacks wise, I'm a huge cheese and crackers person. So it's like, you know, Wallace and Gromit in my house. We've got to have cheese around. <laughs> Made better with crackers. This is awesome. Excellent. That's something I, I want to go get. Now I want to go get some bacon Ritz and some <laughs> bacon uh, Ritz. Oh my Ritz. gosh! <laughs> there you go. That's something Jeez, I miss now that I'm I'm gluten free for the last couple of years. They make some really nice almond thins are really good and they're gluten free. I haven't tried those yet. They're like my cracker of choice, honestly. I don't need to be gluten free. Sometimes mm-hmm. I choose to be, but mm-hmm. I could eat an almond thin no matter what I'm doing. Hmm. Have to keep that in mind. <laughs> Interesting. What is the weirdest thing you've ever Googled, period? Period. Who cares if it was about writing, right? <laughs> yeah. Why not? You're really. Uh, that's, that's always tricky because it's like there are so many things in the course of a day. The weirdest <laughs> thing recently I've Googled is whether or not there is any such thing as metallic copper hair chalk. Oh, that is huh. a very really weird thing to ask. Yes, a very specific and weird. <laughs> specific May weird, I ask yeah. why you were asking for this? <laughs> well, you know, Rollmakers has a costume thing going on every year, and you got to constantly be finding ways to be unusual. And I'm like, you know, hair mm. chalk is kind of cool. I don't want, I don't dye my hair. I don't. I'm a very no fuss kind of human being. So the fact that my hair gets washed is about like what styling is in my life. So that uh, sounds so much like me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, blow dry? No way. My my hair is like down to my small of my back. I'm not blow drying my hair. That would be like an hour of my day lost. Yes, yes, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Um, but I was just, you know, in this world of like, okay, well, what kind of snazzy thing would be easy and quick to do? And chalk's kind of cool. But I was, I'm into metallics, and uh, I actually have a character in my books that has my elves tend to lean toward metallic hair. So I was like, well, if I wanted to replicate that, what would I need? The only thing I could figure out was that if I went through like a theatrical makeup company, I could get powdered copper that is usually mixed with a vehicle that's used to paint your body. So you look like a metal human being, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you're going to be the tin man or whatever, you buy this, this metallic flake. Um, But they're like, you could probably make this into hair chalk with the right recipe. So that's as close Mm -hmm. as I got. Wow. Wow. And now for something completely different. <laughs> other author, authors who have influenced you. Other authors who have influenced me. The uh, I'm going to go in a random order here, see what I can do. I'm going to start with Lloyd Alexander. Um, he is he is an unsung hero of, of um, fantasy fiction, I believe. And uh, he has a really um, sort of an old-timey, fatherly storyteller kind of voice and his Chronicles of Predane are a big um, big favorite of mine just really enjoyed um, the nature of those books and the, the development of the characters and that um, we will ignore that Disney has made the Black Cauldron and just go that wasn't actually based on anything Lloyd Alexander wrote. Yeah. 
and he's I heard he uh, disavowed the movie anyway, so isn't that what authors always do down there? Like, no, this is not mm-hmm. what has happened. I heard E.B. White actually threatened to fall on his sword when it, when people started singing in um, Charlotte's Web. Oh, wow. well, the author of Mary Poppins hated that. And... Yeah. yeah, exactly. So well, they yeah. did all right by Tolkien, but of course, the worst book-to-movie adaptation ever, Aragon. Oh, yeah, I, that was... Yeah. Uh, a big bomb fail, as I understand it. <laughs> um, uh, actually, an author I didn't mention in previous times that people have asked me this. My my current current favorites are Brandon Sanderson and Patrick Rothfuss. Um, yes. Big Sanderson fan because of his crazy magic system building. Oh, he's really good at that, yeah. So I am bound to determine that we're going to get him at Realm Makers at some point. Oh, I keep. I, I was so close. That like a year and a half ago, I had the information about his prices and what he needed, and we just couldn't lock down on a date. And then that communication broke up um, just because life happened, mm. and I haven't been able to make that connection again. So I'm gonna find some way to stalk him at a signing or something, and just be mm-hmm. like, I can't mm. get you via email. Therefore, I'm now in your face, and you probably don't like it, but Remember I'm trying you? to pay you. Security. <laughs> I'm trying to give you money. Come teach at my conference. Well, you know, Robert Lipolero did tell us that we should do things like that. Exactly. I'll just give him Robert's card and be like, he said I could. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that's frustrating is that Brandon is not going to be in this area anytime soon, so I'd have to like take a flight to wherever he's going to be. Really? So that would really be stalkerish. But yeah. anyway, so Brandon Sanderson and his magic systems are amazing. And Patrick Rothfuss for The Name of the Wind, fabulous, fabulous storytelling that breaks all the rules that we're told Mm -hmm. you can't do, flashbacks and storyteller narration and blah, 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 Uh, Mm -hmm. flawlessly pulls that all together. I have been hesitant to delve into Wise Man's Fear just because I understand it gets a little bit more on the smutty side and I'm not a big fan Mm -hmm. of sex on the page. I prefer it to be behind closed doors if it's going to happen. So I'm kind of like, oh, do I do I put up with the do I put up with the stuff I don't like so that I can get the stuff that's awesome? So. It's you you can you can power through it. Uh, have <laughs> you can power through it. Um, it's uncomfortable for a little while, but uh, then it goes back to the awesome stuff. Yeah, and that was my deal breaker on Game of Thrones and all that. I just you know, other than the nihilistic mm-hmm. worldview. Um, I'm just like, you know, yeah. this is this is not where I want my mind to dwell. While George yeah. R. Martin is a master of of intrigue and, you know, just the way his plots intersect and the little bit I've I've gleaned from his stuff, um, there are great things to be gleaned there, but it just was over the top for me in terms of the other stuff I have to weed through. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's where, you know, Rothfuss is still, you know, somebody I would say you want is a contemporary sample of somebody who I want to keep my eyes on just because we should always be looking at awesomeness. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So those will be my sampling for this time around. Okay. Okay. So what's your very favorite book? Your most favorite? You can only pick one and it can't (laughs) be a series. It can't be a series. (laughs) Well then Lord of the Rings is really only one book. So (laughs) (laughs) I do have it leather, you know, in the case and a gold leaf on the edges and the whole bit. I wanted to get that version, but I haven't gotten around to it. It was a Christmas gift, I have to say. My husband Scott is awesome and he got me my thing that I had 
had been ogling forever. He eventually did get me the, you know, basically that okay. tricked out version of Lord of the Rings. And yeah, it is definitely, you know, that is the sort of entry point for fantasy for a lot of people. And it, is. it deserves that place. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to say mm-hmm. that's my, my, my perennial favorite. My current, like kind of new favorite is Brandon Sanderson's Way of Kings. Okay. I have that on my to-be-read list, but I have not read that one yet. You have to commit a lot of time because they're all bricks, and it's you know going to be a crazy, you know, several. Yeah. I I think two books of two series of five or something. It's going to be like a ten book thing, and they're all twelve hundred pages. Oh my! Yeah. <laughs> Staggering to me. I don't know how anybody thinks that huge. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> we all agree. How? It's called Clancy Link. Yeah. It's really cute. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, how long does it take to uh, for you to knock out a draft? I would say rough drafts um, when I'm writing consistently, which I wish I was right now, but I'm not. Um, getting back to that, I have some plans to get more into the groove there again. Um, if I'm going to talk about a novel length work, because I do some novella, I do different lengths. To do mm-hmm. a novel, I would say we're looking at about six to six to eight months because my mm-hmm. novel length works are usually about 125,000 words. Mm-hmm. I have right. kids. I have to mm-hmm. earn money, you know. I yeah. wish I could sit and just bang it out in three months, like, you know, do well, three nanos in a row and be done, but yeah. that is not my life. <laughs> Those darn kids want to eat every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're so picky. We have to get milk again. Oh come on! Last week, come on! Exactly, we had milk in January. I turned around and there was an entire loaf of bread here. Where'd it go? (laughs) And my kids are sixteen almost, uh, twelve almost, and nine. So, and they're all boys. Yeah, it's sort of like having a plague of locusts in your house at all times. Costco. Thank you, Costco. <laughs> Costco is awesome. We get the big pack of, you know, popcorners. Yeah. Yeah. Costco to me is like a two and a half to three hour drive. Ooh. But it's Sam's Club out here. Oh, yeah. We have those there too, but Costco is like right around the corner from us, which is actually probably bad. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need a 64-pack of uh, loaves of bread. <laughs> <laughs> why, do you, why do you have that baggage cart before? Oh, that's to bring in a single can of corn. Why? <laughs> <laughs> My kids love the pickle aisle. They think it's just so amusing. The giant drums of huge pickles. Yeah. Like, what do you do with the pickle that size? What is the point of that? Sword fight. <laughs> Throw it at intruders. <laughs> I think we broke liberty. <laughs> yes, we did it again. Because when you're writing, you need to talk about pickles at Costco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anybody got any more pickle jokes? We can see if we can get how long we can keep her going. I'm all out. For those, for those of you listening, she's like bent over double cracking up here. Yes. She's had to mute herself, the poor thing. <laughs> well, while we're waiting for her to recover, I think it's we'll a game back. you guys. <laughs> okay, now I'm picturing. Uh, 
a shield made of Brandon Sanderson's Way of Kings, because they're bricks, and a giant pickle <laughs> as a weapon. <laughs> it's a missile weapon. Come on. Okay. There you go. Use it like a spear. Catapults of giant pickles. <laughs> oh, quote from Kung Fu Pao and probably a couple other movies. Whatever he's been smoking, I'll have some. <laughs> Lasers, dragons, and keyboards does not condone the use of drugs. <laughs> or giant pickles as weapons. Especially not giant pickles. Stay clean, kids. Don't use pickles. <laughs> anyway. All the outtakes you get from this. <laughs> oh, the fun we have. Oh, back to something resembling on track again. This is the question that all of our listeners want the answer to, and all of our interviewees hate to answer. Here we go. <laughs> what are marketing practices look like, and how can we market to make millions of dollars? You can't. It's there's no magic pill. Sorry, the yeah. end. <laughs> so you're technically asking me what marketing practices I think are effective. Or what you do, or and has it worked for you? What do you want to try? All that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. there you go. Um, we're all like, everybody goes to that marketing track and going, where is that answer that is going to be my answer? And I can just do that and everything's sold. Um, quite frankly, getting to know people on a personal level sells books for me. Mm -hmm. um, because word of mouth is still the most powerful marketing tool I think any any author has. And, you know, we're sitting here going, Brandon Sanderson's books are amazing. And obviously he's sort of, you know, he and a few other guys, Pratt Rothfuss and the guys that we all know is sort of the pinnacle of the genre right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they have that benefit of being uber talented. A lot of us are very talented or talented or whatever. And when you're in that sort of, you know, B-list kind of land, you really need a force of people who know you and love you to sort of widen your circle. So mm -hmm. I find any time you can just personally connect, even if it's just like a quick Facebook message or whatever, somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, I saw your book or whatever, um, cultivating a relationship is super valuable um, mm -hmm. because they're going to say, oh, I talked to her and she was really cool or she had time to say something, you know, you know, to me in return for my message or whatever. And when you're small potatoes like I am, they, there's more time to do that. And um, I think that's, that's super effective of not just like I really enjoyed that book, but this author is somebody I want to invest in because I want to see them personally succeed. The mailing list is the big thing right now. Uh, that's something I want to mm -hmm. dig into. I am sadly uh, not doing what I should be doing in gathering email addresses and doing newsletters, which um, it's that whole idea about you need to own your own content and Facebook is great for talking but mm -hmm. when it comes down to it, they can pull the rug out from anything you're doing there at any time. Uh, and they true. need to, then they need to monetize it. And, um, you know, they're, they're a business just like everybody else. So owning where you keep your content and how you get it out to people is why that newsletter and mailing list idea is so important. I mean, I know I delete a lot of newsletters, but if you really have a good concise newsletter, my understanding is that's, that's going to work well for you in perpetuity. You're mm -hmm. never going to have the platform disappear from underneath you. Um, right. mm -hmm. Or it might just change a little That's bit, true. but at least you can kind of port your mailing list over and that kind of thing. 
So yeah. that's one of those places I want to grow in the next year is making that mailing list work for me. Mm -hmm. It's so important too. And I mean, I'm still trying to get mine off the ground. So I, I understand mm -hmm. where you're at. <laughs> what I don't get is Twitter. I guess I'm old, but <laughs> just not really being able to figure out, okay, you know, like the people I know know on Twitter, you know, we have conversations occasionally. But right. when I'm just kind of flipping through, you know, it's like an endless stream of links, and I'm kind of like, oh, I don't get Twitter. But I should probably figure that out better, too. Mm -hmm. So, well, um, I think we're going to shift a little bit and give you a few minutes to talk about rum makers. So, yeah, we've talked about it a lot. What is it? Yeah, it just keeps coming up in the background. Like, what is that looming thing? Well, yeah, we keep so mentioning in the other podcasts, too, and everything. So, yeah, there you I, go. I mean, that's kind of how LDK got started was because we met at Rummakers. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's all Becky's fault. It. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, people. Blame you. I've perpetrated this on you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so why don't you give us a brief history of Rummakers and how it came to be and what's coming up and what we can expect for this year for Rummakers? Sure. Um, Rummakers was born in 2013. So we're headed into our fourth year, which is very cool. We've had very, very healthy growth from the beginning to now. So we're, uh, we're hoping that we're going to see close to 200 authors this mm -hmm. year um, if our growth trend continues. So that would be an amazing, awesome thing to get mm -hmm. 200 of the awesomest geeks together in the same place. Um, but prior to 2013, um, you know, there's been writers' conferences around forever, and those of us who write speculative fiction, that being fantasy, science fiction, and all of their subgenres, and anything that basically contains content um, that doesn't happen in this normal world, you know, you're not going to see the events of speculative fiction in, you know, your backyard. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You might. <laughs> yeah, depending, depending on what backyard you have. I'd love it, but, you know, not so many people would be on my team there. They'd be like, what? We're not having spells in my house. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so speculative fiction dragon. writers. Go ahead, Aaron. I just want a pet dragon. Yeah. That'd, that'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, like the fire wizards from Pern. That'd be sweet. <laughs> like, you'd never need anyway. a guard dog or security again. Twenty thirteen and before that, um, you know, well, speculative fiction writers have been attending writers' conferences and especially in the Christian realm, the Christian Book Publishing Association. Um, market, the speculative fiction writer has always been a bit of a redheaded stepchild in that mm -hmm. arena. Um, bigger conferences are typically run by um, women who write romance or historical because that's, those are the genres that really sell in the Christian market. And so, you know, that the people who are writing about the dragon pets and the urban fantasy and the horror, mm -hmm. which we also cover at Realm Makers, um, get that side-eyed glance, you know, a lot of times. You you sit at the table at a, a main, you know, a general market sort of writer's conference, and they go around and, well, what do you write? What do you write? And you get the historical and the historical and the memoir and the poetry, and then you go, well, I write about a an elf who has PTSD who's sort of a combination between House and James Bond. And people look at you like, you know, they kind of scoot their plate a little further away from your By seat. By the way, he fights dragon demon wizards. Yeah, exactly. Is mean, you know, his main enemy is a lizard man. Um, so <laughs> people just kind of have a way of 
getting a little uncomfortable in that in the mix, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, churches are very similar in that regard, um, at least the churches I've been to. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have been feeling for a long time that we need a home. We need a place mm-hmm. where we can be geeks together and not just be that one table over there that everybody else is kind of afraid of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was batting around the idea on a forum at one point of like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a con, like a comic con for Christians? Um, mm-hmm. Because comic con is a lot of fun. You know, I've never been personally to that particular con, but fantasy cons and all of those can be great fun. But there's a lot of the world kicking around that's uncomfortable. You know, if you're at a comic event, there are booth, booth girls is what people call them. They're basically promotional models who are out there in usually as little as possible in terms of clothing. Various states of undress. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Think less than Wonder Woman, you know, typically. And, uh, you know, for uh, the Christian the Christian discerning person, that is something that's not necessarily comfortable. And there's a lot of antagonism in those environments toward mm-hmm. the Christian worldview. Um, I know an author who was told directly at a science fiction convention that Christians had no business writing science fiction. Oh, man. So, you know, there is that sentiment out there. So we were saying, you know, we need our own thing where we can get together and we can make sure there aren't booth girls and we can really love to geek out and not be constantly confronted with stuff that we want to keep out of our minds. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I... I had something in the back of my mind that was sort of niggling at me and saying, there's something you're supposed to do with this idea. And a couple of very uh, wise people said, a con is a big thing. You don't want to just jump in and try to like start a con, especially if you've only been to a couple. Mm-hmm. So I kind of sat on it. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then there was, there was a bit of a kerfluffle in the, in the Christian booksellers land um, between an organization and some speculative fiction writers about what was appropriate behavior and dress at a conference. I won't get into details because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but um, there was a disagreement about at an award ceremony, what was appropriate to wear because there was costuming that is typically acceptable at, um, at this particular award ceremony. And some of the speculative fiction writers kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit and did some more inventive, cyborg-y, werewolf-y type things, and hmm. that didn't sit well. And so, you know, there's a lot of he said, she said, this is how this went down, depending on who you talk to. But it was just that sort of kick in the butt, like, you know what, it's time. It's really time to make ourselves a home, and, and I jumped at it and said, okay, here we go. Morgan Bussey, um, who wrote, wrote the Follower of the Word series for Enclave, um, she was kind of on the same page, like, hmm, should something happen with this? And uh, several people said, well, Becky Miner's already thinking about this, so maybe you should talk to her before you just jump on this. And so I kind of already had stuff planned in very skeletal way and then decided, okay, it's time to put this into action. So I really just started putting out feelers and going, who would come to Would anybody come to this? Who can we get for faculty? The first year our faculty donated their time. Which, except for our keynote speaker, we always have had a dedication to making sure people are compensated if we can do it. Um, mm-hmm. But most of the faculty donated their time that year, and I had a lot of people just come out of the woodwork saying, I've heard you're doing this thing, and I would love to participate. I had to do almost no recruitment that year. Most of my faculty came to me, which was mm-hmm. amazing. It's like a Noah's Ark kind of moment. Yeah, um, definitely. So yeah, I didn't point, get to go the first year. I couldn't get time off from work. Yeah, it makes it. Yeah, I remember that conversation. You're like, I can't get off work. Darn it! 
Yeah. Uh, so 2013. Really did too. <laughs> 2013 was in St. Louis at um, University of Missouri, St. Louis campus, which was a mm-hmm. good little venue for us, if not a little bit too close to Ferguson. But, you know, in terms of facilities and stuff, it was a good starting place. Um, yeah. So we did well. And we, you know, I... Jeff Gerke was our first keynote speaker, and I was like, I have no idea how many people are going to come to this thing. And I'm like, if we have 25, I'll call it a win. We'll do it if we have 25. Uh And um, we got to 25 in like the second day that registration was open, (laughs) and it kind of continued on from there. (laughs) So when Jeff showed up, he was very surprised. He was like, oh, my gosh, I thought I was going to be talking to 30 people, and we had like 70 or whatever. Oh, wow. So he was super happy. He was like, this is great. I'm so glad. And, uh, you know, I was flying by the seat of my pants a little bit. I'd been to um, conferences, but never served on the board of one or anything. And I was just like making it up as I went along and apparently did all right because my faculty has been coming back and happy to serve again if I ask them. Though we do try to rotate as much as we can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, from year to year, we've had some sort of usual suspects, but we try to make sure our, you know, that there's something new for returning, returning folks. So that was really kind of the inception of things, and it's grown from there. We've alternated between Philadelphia and the Midwest because I live in Philadelphia, and I can't always leave my hometown to do the conference. So every mm-hmm. other year I put it in and, my own neck of the woods. And Villanova is a really nice facility as well, but bring a coat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll see what happens this year. It's a Villanova University again this year. We had it um, two years ago okay. at Villanova University. Excellent food program, excellent uh, facilities. However, if the weather is cold in the summer, really good. yeah, that's true. If um if the weather is for some reason freakishly cold in the summer, you will be very cold in the building. So it's one of those like wear your sweater. Definitely works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You will not. Be <laughs> um, if you tend to sweat in meetings, you will be fine in this particular situation. I am um, bringing my wool cloak. <laughs> there you go. Just in case you'll have like. People trying to sneak up and steal it when you're not looking. There you go. But who knows? I mean, it could be 118 degrees this year because it's in the end of July, and you just never know in Philadelphia. Yep. I don't know that it's ever been that hot, but it could be. It could be in the high 90s. It could be in the 70s. We have no idea. Um, but it's going to be a good time. Um, this year we're at uh, July 28th through 30th, and um, each year we've been able to get some nice headliners, but. We were just talking about the inception, so I won't keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The registration for that opens, what, April 1st? April 1st. It's not well, a joke. It's not a joke, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just about to build the registration form, so that's always exciting to make sure you collect all the information you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Registration for Realm Makers opens on April 1st. The Force Awakens, you can get it on digital the April 1st, and it's like... Are people trolling the internet already early this year? <laughs> you can't really believe anything you read on the internet April 1st. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, really, what's going to happen? Watch, I'll push it live like the 28th just to make everybody go, what? <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> Psych, it was already open. You missed it. No paid critique for you. <laughs> By the way, the paid critique I got was really valuable last year. So, excellent. That's good to hear. Yeah. So, uh, who's on on board so far to speak? At, no, who's uh, on first? <laughs> What's on second? I think he might be on second. But <laughs> uh, for our faculty this year, um, Thomas Locke, 
also known as Davis Bunn, depending on what book he's written, is are going to be our um, our keynote speaker. He has sold over seven million copies of his books worldwide. Um, writes um, across several different speculative genres. Um, works mm. in, I believe, at Oxford University when he's not. He splits his time between here and uh, and the UK. So he's a um, faculty in residence in the UK and also over here writing and touring and and doing all that. So he's um, he's going to be amazing. My understanding, he's just brilliant. So it'd be mm-hmm. nice if he had a British accent too, but I don't think he does. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I have no idea. He Every doesn't. He a fake one. I mean, you know. He can just like throw one on there for a second. Um, yeah. We have Tosca Lee is going to be teaching this year. She was you keynote don't want speaker. To miss that. Exactly. She was a keynote capacity before, so now people are going to have more opportunity to really hear from Tosca in some sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, our continuing sessions will be taught by Kathy Tires, um, who was also a first-year faculty member, but we've got her coming back to teach I a have, big, long continuing session, which would be awesome. I have not got the chance to meet her either last year or the year before, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, so we'll have her yeah. back from our first year. Um, we have – I have to, like, sort through because we've shifted a lot of things around. Mike Duran is going to be also teaching a longer session on basically the theology of speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. And is really doing some awesome research on that. Yeah, I, I think all of us who were sitting in on that particular session last year are, are craving more. He did not exactly. have enough time last year. So we're letting him expand that to a four-hour four um, session that he'll be able to kind of hit outside. He taught mostly on theology as it relates to horror, but he's going to sp- uh, expand it to more of the speculative umbrella this mm-hmm. time okay. through. Woo-hoo. Steve Excellent. Lobby is going to be teaching a continuing session, so we're giving him a, a nice platform to launch from. And his um, he is really going to be doing a, spiritually men- a spiritual mentoring um, track, just talking about um, really how to prepare yourself spiritually for the awesome task that is telling stories, because mm-hmm. people connect with stories in such a uh, mm-hmm. dynamic way. And um, yeah. I just heard him speak some of this message at um, the Writer to Writer conference that was in Hershey in, in February. And it was so fabulously compelling, just the one little section that he did that I was like, you know what, we really, people need this. And we mm-hmm. need to, you know, we want to foster a spiritual component at Realm Makers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people can take it or leave it. We certainly reach out to anybody of any, you know, faith persuasion who wants to come and talk about spec. Um, but I think mm-hmm. that for those of us who are um, really looking for some spiritual meat, uh, Steve is really going to have some awesome insights there. Uh, Julie Gwynn and Lane Haymont from the Seymour Agency are on on board to come as agents and to do a little teaching. Who else do we have in electives? Patrick Carr is going to be teaching. The uh, mm. you know so he'll be talking in the world of fantasy. I, and fantasy I gotta tropes. get his books and get those signed because yeah, absolutely. So we'll those be are able- amazing books. He's uh, worthy of the awards he's garnered on those. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all that's going to my mind right now. I don't have the website in front of me, but on the website yeah. we do have a full list of our faculty. And if mm-hmm. I've sl- – oh, Susie Q. Um, if you don't know Suzanne and Sean Kuhn, they, they were are – awesome last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have to have them more, and we're good putting them in and early If you want to know anything about the marketing question that all of our interviews so far kind of going, eh, ask them, they – the yeah, they're going to be doing answer, a whole fake it early bird like on they that. know what they're doing. So. They sure do. <laughs> they do. Um, yeah. And they'll be talking about author branding and all of that, and they do a great kind of boot camp on branding. 
that mm -hmm. you'll have an opportunity to elect if you'd like. So, and like I said, if there's anybody else who I've accidentally glossed over, it's just because my brain doesn't fire on all cylinders depending on how long we've been doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and they can go to what what website is it? Realmmakers. Yep. www.realmmakers. Two m's in the middle there. Realmmakers.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Is there anything else you want to share about Realmmakers? Uh, that you should come if you write well, anything speculative. <laughs> if you're an introverted type of writer, well, you know, most of us are, but uh -huh. I know a lot of uh, introverted writers, oh, I couldn't go to a conference and be around all those people. It's like, no, you don't understand. You walk in the door, these are my people. Yes. You, yeah, exactly. you walk in there and you can have a vampire, a zombie, and a Jedi having a literary conversation and nobody bats an eye at this. Exactly. Yes. And yeah. uh, in the other corner you have a, you know, three people dressing up as characters from their own novels having a deep theological discussion. I mean, it's just fantastic. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's I the mean, biggest it's... group of your own friends you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> that you, um, yeah, that you may or may not have met. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I came for the first time last year and hadn't been to a writer's conference in forever, maybe never, I'm not even sure. And I was really nervous because I was coming by myself. I was staying with my editor. And, you know, I was, I felt comfortable the entire weekend. And mm. that doesn't usually happen when I'm away from my home and not with people I spend exorbitant amount of time with. So yeah. that's the kind of atmosphere that it is. It is. It's just like walking in and everybody's a big family. Yep. Yeah, it's low pressure, too. We're not all about, like, okay, you better bring all your business attire because mm -hmm. you want to make a, an amazing impression at every moment. I mean, obviously, if you've got an appointment and you're pitching your manuscript, it's probably better to show up in something that's a little bit, little bit snazzier. But otherwise, yep. you know, we're in our fandom T-shirts and, you know, we're being <laughs> ourselves. And it's all cool. And... You know, yeah. we can we can be comfortable and professional at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, let's get this wrapped up here pretty quick. Uh, what's one piece of writing advice you want to share with aspiring authors, other than come to all makers? <laughs> Darn. Which you could do, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. After you've come to all makers, go home and write. Um, <laughs> I would just say, turn off the voices of what you should be writing, how you should be writing, at least when you're in the drafting stage. You know, go ahead and tell the story how it's coming to you and spill more than you think you want to on the page. You can always edit it out later. Exactly. Yeah. Um, explore those. This is kind of like a big, long... I'm kind of wandering the gamut here, but... Um, that night, that notion of you know put those guts on the page, um, really heighten and uh, heighten the emotions and dig for the things that you don't even like to think about and put them in that manuscript because your most painful moments or your most tender moments or the things that are most intense for you are going to be what get your reader and keep them loving your characters. It doesn't matter if you feel like, oh my gosh, that's a little too intense, or I don't know if my audience will be comfortable with that, or that kind mm -hmm. of thing. You can, like you said, you can always go back in the editing phase and kind of tweak things, but mm -hmm. better to just 
spill it all and really um, give yourself a lot to work with in terms mm-hmm. of that emotional impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is there anywhere our listeners can go to learn more about your work? My or you? Work or me or that kind of thing. Uh, I hang out on oh, Facebook yeah. quite a bit. Um, if you want to find my, my author and artist page, I'm at Rebecca P. Minor Author and Artist on Facebook. I am also on my own website, RebeccaPMinor.com. So those are the primary places to um, to kind of see what I'm up to. My blog is sorely neglected, but, you know, one of these days we'll get back into that, that groove. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but anything I'm going to update is going to be mostly on Facebook and then secondarily on my website. Other than that, Realm Makers is a great place to figure out what we're doing, what we're doing with the conference. The Facebook page for Realm Makers is great um, in terms of connecting with other writers. And if so you've active. Been, yeah, it yeah. is quite active. It you is. get good engagement there. And once you've been to a conference, you can get into the alumni group that's on Facebook, and that is a hopping destination, I have to say. Well, and that, that's also a really good resource if you need beta readers, if you want to ask, to say, a doctor, if it gets stabbed here, will he die instantly, temporary wound, yeah. all this kind of stuff, it's a good writer resource for that kind of stuff, too. Oh, yeah, exactly. And pe- people to help you. I, I know I use it a lot for, uh, hey, I need, like, motivation to write. Who wants to write with me? Yeah, let's you do know? a sprint or whatever. Yeah. And it's yeah. all great. Yeah, and I'm and really I, grateful for that, that group that has been put together, the alumni group. It was one of those things where I didn't want to do it because it's sort of like, okay, well, mom's here throwing a party. She's already got this thing over here, and now she's over here. I was like, you know what? This needs to be motivated by alumni, alumni for alumni. And I try mm-hmm. to keep my fist out of there, you know, not, you know, not messing with things too much. I don't want to have my fingers into that pie because I want mm-hmm. the alumni to feel like this is, this is our thing. And it, this is mm-hmm. us motivating discussion between each other, and we don't need to be supervised, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And the other nice thing about that group is, like we were saying earlier, you go to the conference, and you have that family feeling, and you get to stay connected with all these people that way, too. And it's really mm-hmm. nice for that as well. Yeah, the person who you're like, I can, I can look at this site, I can look at this page and see, you know, that person's face and their work, and I can kind of continue to associate them. So if I do see them again... It's like, oh, I still know you. I don't have to start over. Conference, yeah. conference. It's really crazy. You connect with a couple of them and make a podcast. <laughs> See, exactly. <laughs> and it, to, if I have to say, um, there have been some collaborations that have grown out of Realm Makers, which are really like one of the most gratifying things about doing the conference. Um, mm-hmm. I know that Randy Strew of A Flame in the Dark and one of our um, faculty members early on who was a comic writer did a little bit of collaborating, and that just really was a fabulous thing. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's so exciting that they were able to come together. You guys have come together. We've had mm-hmm. Crosshair Press, basically. Kind there's of, at least one or two presses, uh, small yeah. presses that have yeah. come together. Yeah, and there's another, uh, a new press that's going to be taking submissions. I'm not going to steal their thunder, so I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, but yet another Gotta come press. to find out. Exactly, at the conference that will be opening at the conference to submissions. Oh, cool. So, so, yeah, people have gotten inspired and uh, collaborated and found their soulmates and found clients. That's you know, true. Chris we Morris. actually have had a people get, yeah. And you'll never meet a more interesting accountant than Chris Morris, who will be teaching <laughs> <your> members. <laughs> a, a statement that sounds weird, but is actually true. Yep, 100% accurate. 
Who'd have thunk? Exactly. He's our accountant now. I'm not stumping for him as a business person, but he is definitely very cool. He is. I think we've reached the end. Yeah, Didn't I think I, we... uh... <laughs> 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 Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping that I can make it again this year. So Awesome. Yeah. So um, well, thank you so much for coming tonight, Becky, and for staying up late with us. It is way late for you, I know. Yeah. This is my life, you know. I was answering emails at 1.40 last night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, I should go to bed, but this email has to be answered, so you just you just do what has to be done, and then you you pay for it later. Yeah, <laughs> so coffee the next morning. Exactly. Coffee with Red Bull in it. No. <laughs> and now I can... And now I can see sounds. Exactly. <laughs> I can hear colors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's been a blast, and we hope to see you in July. Awesome. Let me know when you're throwing this out onto the real world for people to hear. We will. We will. We so. do that. Thanks, everybody. This has been another episode of Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. Have a question or comment? Email us at lasersdragonskeyboards at gmail.com. Our music is Flight of the Beast, Loop 1 by Jonathan Gear. Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards is copyrighted under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. This means if you're not-for-profit and you want to quote us, please be sure that you cite us. If you are for-profit, please get our permission first. You can find us at lasersdragonsandkeyboards.wordpress.com for detailed show notes, as well as on facebook.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time. So long, and thanks for all the fish. <laughs>